If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to continue our study of Christ above all from the book of Colossians by looking at verses 1 through 5 of Colossians 2 this morning. A passage which describes for us the important topic of Christian growth and maturity. You see, growth is an essential indicator of life. Where there is no growth, there is no life. But where there is growth, there is life. We know this to be true when it comes to plant life. How do you know when a tree or a plant in your garden is alive? Answer, it's growing, right? And how do you know when a tree or plant in your garden is dead? It's not growing. The same is true spiritually. How do you know if a person has been made alive spiritually in Christ Jesus? Answer, they grow. As Colossians 1, verse 6 and verse 10 say, they bear fruit. And how do you know if a person is dead spiritually and still cut off from Christ? Answer, they do not grow. This is why Paul emphasized so highly the goal of Christian growth and maturity beginning at the beginning of Colossians, saying in verse 28 of chapter 1 that his aim in ministry was to present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. It was towards this singular aim that Paul toiled in his ministry. He struggled, as verse 29 of chapter 1 says, with all of God's power that was powerfully at work within him in order to encourage the Christians under his care to not remain stagnant, but to grow spiritually and become mature. Why? Because spiritual growth is an essential indicator of spiritual life. Where there is no growth, Where there is no change, there is no life. But where spiritual growth is happening, spiritual life is always at work. This is why spiritual growth and maturity is always to be the unique aim and focus of a gospel-centered, Christ-exalting ministry, just as it is with Paul here. Well, here in these five verses of Colossians chapter 2, Paul explores the central issue of Christian maturity from three distinct directions. In verses 1 through the beginning of verse 2, which we looked at last week, Paul discusses the encouragements of spiritual maturity. In other words, how does a local church, what does a local church need to possess in order to encourage the believers under their care to mature spiritually? The local church needs to possess, as we saw last week, full learning, faithful leaders, and fervent love where the Word of God is being fully taught, where the stewards of God are toiling in their teaching and perspiring in prayer, and where the people of God are fervently loving one another with the love of God Himself poured into their hearts, there Christians will experience spiritual growth. Full learning, faithful leaders, fervent love. These are the encouragements to spiritual maturity. Well, that brings us to the next two points in Colossians chapter 2. That's the essence of spiritual maturity at the end of verse 2 into verse 3, followed by the effect of spiritual maturity in verse 4 into verse 5. So the essence of spiritual maturity, what does spiritual maturity look like, followed by the effect of spiritual maturity, what does it produce? Just so you know, so you're not thinking I'm going to go insanely long today, we're just going to look at the essence 
of spiritual maturity this week, and then we'll look at the effect of maturity next week. So with that in mind, let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this. Colossians 2, starting at verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the Word of God, whose laws the insolent do not live by, but whose laws are the delight of His children. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the opportunity we have this morning, a gift from You to open up Your Word and behold the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You for Jesus. And I pray, Father, that You would Equip me, first of all, to be able to exalt Him today through the teaching of Your Word. I pray secondly, Father, that by Your Spirit, You would exalt Your Son in the hearts and minds of everyone here today. Father, You have said since the very beginning of Your Word that You are the all-sufficient One. The one from whom all things exist. You are the only thing we need. So Father, I pray that this morning You would show us anew Your glory in the face of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And make us, Father, make us worshipers of Christ. Make us lovers of Christ. Make us learners of Christ. Christ above all. Remind us, Father, this morning that if we have Jesus, we truly have all we need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after Paul describes for us how a local church can encourage spiritual growth in the lives under their care. He then proceeds to describe what that spiritual growth looks like. He shows us the essence of spiritual maturity at the end of verse 2 into the beginning of verse 3. And I would like to describe, or I would like to posit for you that the essence of spiritual maturity is this treasuring Christ. This is the essence of true spiritual maturity. 
How do you know whether someone is truly mature in Christ Jesus? Who is truly spiritual? Who is truly born again? Who has truly been growing in the Lord? It is the soul that recognizes that Jesus is all you need. All you need. He looks like someone who treasures Jesus Christ above all else, who truly understands that all they need for life and contentment, for acceptance and blessing before God, is Jesus Christ alone. This is the spiritually mature person, is the person that realizes that Jesus is everything they need, and Jesus is everything that God has to give. They realize that they are complete fully in Him, just as Colossians 2 verse 10 says. This is the essence of spiritual maturity. So let's look at it this morning. After Paul describes the three encouragements towards spiritual maturity in verses 1 through 2, he proceeds to tell us at the end of verse 2 and verse 3 that all of these encouragements are intended to motivate believers, he says, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is the intended goal of a true Christ-exalting ministry. It is to encourage people to reach out to Christ, to strive to know Him, to strive to treasure Him more fully than they do now. More and more and more. This is how you know when someone is becoming spiritually mature. They're becoming spiritually mature as they grow in treasuring Jesus Christ above all else. It's when they begin, it's not when they begin to make their lives look good on the outside. It's not when they start wearing suits to church or listening to the style of music you like or voting in the way that you like them to vote. Spiritual maturity is indicated by someone who is increasingly, from the heart, treasuring Jesus for the treasure that He is. It's when they begin to make it as their goal to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I want you to notice, first of all, from this passage, spiritual maturity and growth always begins with a goal. Always. It always begins with a desire and an ambition, as this verse says, to reach something. What are you trying to reach in your life, believer? What is your ambition? What is your goal? What is your fascination and obsession? Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 9.26, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as someone who's beating the air, right? I have a target to hit in my Christian life. I have a finish line I want to cross. What is that target? What is that goal that every believer ought to have? One word. Christ. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. That's my life. That's our target. That's our goal. That's our finish line and our ambition. Christ Always Christ. If you want to make it two words, the goal of a maturing and growing Christian is this. Knowing Christ. That's the goal of a growing and maturing Christian. Knowing Christ. 
If you don't have that as the heartbeat within you as a believer, you will not grow at all. You'll live 40 years saying that you were saved when you were young and you'll be just as spiritually immature at 70 as you were when you were 17. Paul says in Philippians 3, 3-8, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them all as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, and verse 10, and to know Him. This is the goal of every mature and growing Christian. It's to know Christ more tomorrow than I knew Him today. But look at how Paul describes that very goal of maturity here in verse 2. Beautiful. He says that God knits you Together in love with other believers. He knits you together in love with other believers beneath faithful leaders and full teaching. Why? Not just to reach understanding, but to reach the full assurance of understanding. And not just to reach the full assurance of understanding, but to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Notice how Paul piles on the words here. He is emphasizing the fact that that there is great richness that God wants to give you in your Christian life. You can be a Christian and live like you're in spiritual impoverishment. And God says, I don't want that for you. If you're my child, I want you to experience all the riches that I have given you already in Christ. What is that richness? Is the richness he says here, first richness of having a full assurance of understanding. Beloved, I want you to know first of all this morning that you can understand God's Word. The only person who says anything other than that is Satan, and he's a liar. You can understand God's Word. Colossians 1.25 already taught us that the Word of God can be fully known. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 teaches us that God has given us the mind of Christ and He has given us the Spirit of God that we might understand the things that are freely given to us by God in His Word. The Bible can be correctly understood and interpreted. But not only that, not only can you as a believer come to a correct understanding of the text, But I want you to know from this verse that you can come to a full assurance of a correct understanding of the text. You can clearly know, believer, that you are correct. This is critical. Because remember from our study of the gospel that we began right when I first came to this church. What is the reliability of our salvation? It is Scripture alone. It is Scripture alone. We know what is true, and we know what to do, because God has spoken. This is the very foundation of our faith. It is the clear Word of God. And that is why the devil always assaults it, particularly in the area of its clarity and understandability. He will always want you to doubt whether you can truly know God, and whether you can ever be confident that what he says is true. 
The devil always assaults the clarity and understandability of God's Word. Did God really say? You sure you got that right? By undermining our confidence in the clarity of God's Word, Satan seeks to undermine our confidence in God Himself. That's what he did in the garden. And that is what he is still doing today. Satan's devices have not changed. His servants still disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. As 2 Corinthians 11.15 says, they still call themselves Bible scholars and theologians. And they're still spreading lies like, well, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's transcendent. He's a mystery. Therefore, our finite brains can never have any confidence of knowing what God really means here. Listen, Paul's words here shatter that demonic deception. We are taught here in Colossians chapter 2 that by the illumination of the Spirit of God and by faithfully studying to show ourselves approved unto God, we can come to a full assurance of understanding regarding the Word of God. We can know and say with all authority, this is not just my interpretation of what God has said. We can say with all authority, this is the interpretation of what God has said. Some people are probably, I hopefully none, no one here, but if that's okay, you might be laughing at me right now in your heart saying, what a spiritually arrogant guy to say something like that. I want you to know that such assurance is not spiritual arrogance as some today would label it. Indeed, it is the person who denies the clarity of Scripture that's being arrogant because they're rebelling against the clear testimony of Scripture right here in Colossians chapter 2. Scripture is clearly clear. And whoever denies that clarity is the one who has raised themselves up in arrogance against God. So listen, beloved. Assurance is not spiritual arrogance. I want you to know this morning that spiritual assurance is an essential part of the Christian experience. You, and I know this is going to sound really harsh, but you cannot be a Christian without ever having experienced a sure understanding of what God has said. Let me prove it for two reasons. First, the only way a person can ever come to Christ is through a full assurance of understanding. Paul says over in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, We know, brothers, God has chosen you for salvation. Why? Paul says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And listen to this, and with full conviction. You knew what it said was true. The only way anyone can ever come to Christ is through a full assurance of understanding. And second, the only way any person can ever declare Christ is through a full assurance of understanding as well. We are commanded in Ephesians 6 verse 20 to declare the word of God boldly as we ought to speak. Well, listen, you can only declare the word of God boldly and obey God in that way if you have full confidence that what you're declaring is actually true. You can only do that if you've come to a full assurance of understanding. The only way people ever come to Christ, the only way people will ever declare Christ, and the only way people will ever grow in Christ is after they receive a full assurance of understanding from the Lord. Assurance is not arrogance. It is part and parcel of of the Christian experience. It is the reward that God gives to those who diligently seek Him. So praise God that as Ephesians 5.17 says, we don't have to be foolish, but we can understand what the will of the Lord is. So Paul desired that the Colossian believers would come to possess all the riches 
of the full assurance of understanding. Second, he desired that they would come to possess all the riches of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You see, when God knits you together in love with other believers beneath faithful leaders and full learning, Paul says here that you will grow in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Oh, those Gnostics, they love to preach about mysteries, right? Come to us, you'll learn about a mystery. We'll bring you into the secret things of God. And Paul is saying here, I'll tell you what God's mystery is. It's Christ. It's not hidden. It's revealed. I declare it publicly. You can know God's mystery. Christ. And when you are knit together with other believers beneath faithful leaders and full learning, you will grow in the knowledge of Christ. This is the essence of spiritual maturity. I don't care, I don't care what your life looks like. I don't care how spiritual you make yourself look out to be. I don't care if the people around you think you're a moral person. If your parents think you're a good kid, I could care less. Do you know Christ? Do you know Him? 2 Peter 3.18 says, Spiritual maturity is to grow how? In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're not mature because you've had life experiences. Man, you're not mature because you sat in church for any length of years. You're mature if you know Jesus and know Him deeply, truly, richly. A believer who is maturing is a believer that is growing in their knowledge and understanding of Christ. And now get the point that Paul's about to say. This is huge. Primarily, follow me on this, primarily, what understanding about Christ will a growing Christian increasingly come to realize? A growing, maturing Christian will come to realize, verse 3, that in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Notice the totality of that phrase. Not some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but the rest I can find on my new sites online. But all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ alone. See, this explains why a growing Christian will, like Paul, increasingly define his life by one single obsession, one solitary pursuit, one solitary teacher. It is because in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul already said back in Colossians 1, 15, 18-19, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the head of the body, the church. In him, or he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him, verse 19 says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's just like what we saw over in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is who Jesus is. Paul says later on in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, For in Him... The whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. It's just like what Ephesians 1.3 says, that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours. How? In Christ Jesus. 
This is why Paul says in Colossians 3, 3 through 4, later on in this chapter, or in this book, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, he says in verse 4, who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You see, a believer's entire existence is summed up by one profession and one pursuit. For me, to live is Christ, for Christ is my life. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. A believer pursues Christ, and a believer grows in Christ, because a believer comes to understand that all he needs is Christ. See, the false teachers in Colossae were saying this, Christ is good. Man, you really need to read our books, right? I mean, Christ is good, but, but you really need our, our, our teachings. You need to come to our sessions. You need to get our wisdom. Christ's words are good, but you really need our special knowledge and insight in order to understand life and really to understand Scripture itself. Is that taught today? Yes. Yes, in fact, it is terrifyingly spreading throughout the evangelical churches in America today. A recent development in just the last five years is that there are so-called evangelicals going around in churches today teaching that we are so warped by our ethnicity and skin color that the only way we can ever come to understand the Word of God properly is by inserting an interpretational framework, they call it, you may have heard of it, critical race theory, into our reading of the Bible. That everything you read in Scripture needs to be read through that lens if you're going to understand it properly. Listen, that is false teaching that directly assaults the clarity, first, of God's Word, and second, the sufficiency of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Because according to Colossians 2-3 that we are seeing right up here right now, in Christ alone are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge necessary for understanding the Word of God properly. You do not need an interpretational framework, believer. No interpretational framework needed. Just Christ. And the wisdom and knowledge that comes through Him as you're knit together with other believers in a community of love beneath full teaching and faithful leaders. No interpretational needed, interpretational framework needed. In fact, can I give you a piece of advice? Whenever you hear that phrase, interpretational framework being used, be on the alert. Now before we read this particular book of the Bible, right? Or before we read this Old Testament passage, we need to make sure we're approaching it with the right interpretational framework. You're right. I mean, that would be pretty dangerous if we were just to open up the Word of God and just read it, right? Who knows, it might threaten your interpretational framework. (laughs) Be on the alert when phrases like that are being used. Because what they're saying is that you need to bring something else into your study of the text other than the sure understanding that God will give you in Christ by His Spirit through a careful study of His Word. That's wrong. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
This has radical implications when you consider this as a believer. This means that there is no need for the message of any cult. There is no need for the message of any vision. There is no need for the message of any philosophy. There is no need for the message of any psychology. There is no need for the message of any sociology to supplement God's Word and Christ's Word. The Christian source of knowledge and wisdom is not the Bible plus the wisdom of the Pope or the Book of Mormon. It's not the Christian source of knowledge and wisdom is not the Bible plus the knowledge of Dr. Phil, Oprah Winfrey, or Charles Darwin. The Christian source of knowledge and wisdom is not the Bible plus the studies of Sigmund Freud or the opinions of Glenn Beck. The Christian source of knowledge and wisdom is not the Bible plus the life experiences of you, me, or any other person on the face of this earth. The Christian source of knowledge and wisdom is and ought to be Christ and His words alone. There ought to be no other influence that is supplanting that influence. Are you a disciple of Christ alone? The Christian source of knowledge and wisdom is and ought to be Christ and Christ's words alone. Because in Christ are hidden not some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, God has blown the lid off of His spiritual treasury. And He's saying, go ahead, take what you need. It's all right here in Him, in Christ. He is the ultimate storehouse of divine wisdom and spiritual knowledge. This is so critical to have a full assurance of understanding about. Because when you begin to doubt Christ's sufficiency then you'll begin to doubt His promises as well. Can Christ alone truly bring me love, joy, peace, patience, fulfillment? Is He promised? Do I need something else? We must believe and become assured of the fact that knowing Jesus is all we need. In fact, this is the entire Christian life. right? None of us have arrived <laughs> at this point. The Christian life is realizing, I don't need this anymore. If God was to take that away, that's okay, because I have Christ. I have Christ. We must believe and become assured of the fact that knowing Jesus is all we need. Apart from this, if you don't have that conviction in your life, if you still say, I need this amount of money, man, I need, I need this relationship, man, I need this house, man, I need this land, I need whatever it might be, Apart from that, there will be no love for Christ, no pursuit of Christ, and no growth of Christ until you realize that Christ is all you need. We must become convinced that all that is needed for life and godliness is found in the knowledge of Christ. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So as I was thinking about it, one of the prayers that accompanied my study this week is that God would raise up an entire generation who always and only point to Christ alone as the true vine the source and wellspring of all life and wisdom and knowledge, an entire generation who points to Christ alone as the only sufficient one and the only solution to the issues of life. As it's been so wonderfully written, in Christ alone my hope is found. 
He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground is firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. This is the message of Colossians. Knowing Christ is all you need. Do you believe that? Because if you believe it, your, your life will be marked by one obsession. To get to know Jesus Christ more. And if you believe this, then your life will be marked by one message to the world. Get to know Jesus Christ more. I'll have to pause at this point and pick up the final point next week, but I want you to consider this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That Jesus Christ is all you need. First, do you believe this in terms of your justification for becoming acceptable in God's sight? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone and His death on the cross to save you from the penalty of your sins? He is all you need. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 says this, Because of God you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, trusting in Christ is all you need for forgiveness, for salvation, for acceptance before God. Christ alone. He is all you need for your justification. Do you believe this? If not, you recognize you need to, I'd encourage you this morning, right where you're sitting, to profess your faith in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your souls. Second, do you believe that Jesus Christ is all you need for your sanctification? For living a life here on earth that pleases God? Do you believe that Christ is all you need towards that end? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone and His knowledge and wisdom to increasingly deliver you from the power of your sin? Or are you turning to the wisdom and knowledge of this world, believer? Christ is all you need. Again, 1 Corinthians 1.3 He is wisdom from God. If any of you lacks wisdom, He will give it richly, but in Christ Jesus Believer, what are you pursuing? What are you turning to daily for your source of wisdom and knowledge? Can I just say what I was convicted of? Maybe it's time, radical I know, maybe it's time for a 30-day social media fast and even a 30-day news fast. But i got to be a good Christian. i got to know what's going on. Being a good Christian is growing in the assurance that all the knowledge and wisdom you need can be found in Christ alone. You want to be equipped for the issues of this hour? Turn off cable news. Log off of Facebook. Open up the Word of Christ. Cut out everything else for a time and return yourself to a renewed way to that true storehouse of wisdom and knowledge our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
that our hearts might live out these truths that we often sing. One of my favorite hymns. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with you, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. This is the essence of spiritual maturity. Treasuring Christ above all else. Having the assurance, the full assurance of understanding that Jesus Christ is truly all you need. This is the Word of God from Colossians 2, 2-3, which I now commit to your further study and faithful obedience. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank You for the glory of Christ, that in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Father, we confess to You today our idolatry. For as we should be living lives in pursuit of Christ and knowing Him, we so often live lives pursuing the knowledge of other things. So Father, I pray that this message might be used by Your grace to work within the hearts of Your people that we might grow And be made mature today so that this next week would be lived more for the honor of Jesus Christ as we believe your word and turn to him as the source of all true wisdom and knowledge. Cause us to grow, Father, we pray. May Jesus Christ be exalted in our pursuit of him and our love of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.